This is a special edition of the RTI Press Pass powered by Rocky Top Insider. Here are your hosts, Jack Foster and Ryan Shumper. All right, everybody, welcome back into the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass special edition podcast. I'm your host, Jack Foster, alongside Ryan Shepard today, as always on the special edition, we're going to be talking Tennessee baseball coming at you on a Sunday afternoon, just after Tennessee swept Mississippi State, a good weekend for the Vols in Lindsey Nelson Stadium, a thrilling walk-off win on Thursday night before getting a 12-8 win on Friday and then dominating Mississippi State 13-2 and run-rolling the Bulldogs on their way to a sweep. We're going to talk all about the weekend and what's next for Tennessee baseball. But first, Ryan, how are we doing on the Sunday? Doing well, doing well. I, and we'll see how much we can avoid or we can actually call it a game by the right days and not fall into the habit of uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. But it is nice with the Thursday, Friday, Saturday series of, of having Sunday off. So I, I do enjoy that. Help us uh, get the podcast out to the people a little bit earlier this week. I think podcasting on a Sunday is going to help. Because every time I look up at the top right of my computer, I see SUN. Tell us your Sunday. Yeah. So I'm like, well, there's no baseball being played today. I didn't just watch a baseball <laughs> game. So that was yesterday was game three. So I think to, I think this podcast, I will definitely be better because we are podcasting on a Sunday. Definitely helps. But let's go ahead and jump in, Ryan. Um, a unique weekend, to say the least, for Tennessee. It was a fun one. Um, first night, Tennessee gets out to a 7-1 to one lead. Uh, you think they're going to, you know, get a dominant series opening win. Then Mississippi State comes roaring back, scores five runs there in the sixth and seventh innings combined. Tennessee's pitching, um, you know, just it was OK. Andrew Lindsay was OK, but, uh, you know, it just wasn't so great down the stretch in Mississippi's bats and their offense. Their lineup is not to be taken lightly, and they heated up pretty good there in the, those two innings. But then Griffin Merritt walks it off again in the bottom of the ninth. Tied 7-7, heading into the bottom of the ninth. He hits a leadoff home run, second pitch of the at-bat to center field. So that's back-to-back series openers where Griffin Merritt has now gotten a walk-off home run to win the game. It's pretty crazy, especially given, you know, even I was going to say, you know, how he'd kind of fallen out of the starting rotation a few weeks ago, which is true. But even this week, it's not like he started every single game. He didn't even start the game that he hit the walk-off home run in on Thursday night. So, uh Pretty wild and kind of it almost in a lot of ways felt like an anticlimactic walk off home run just because with the bad weather, the Thursday night game, there weren't a ton of people there. And it was boom, second pitch of the bottom of the ninth inning. He sends it, sends it deep uh, to right field and, and Tennessee wins. So uh, a huge uh, swing by Griffin Merritt, a huge win not to let that game slip away. Um, and he Merritt said it pretty good in a handful of analogies after the game. He's like a Baptist preacher talking to the media with his you know, all yeah, his no. analogies he had. But he's talking about he said they were kind of uh, they were kind of like a deer that you shot. He's talking about Mississippi State. He said there's you didn't need to give him any extra motivation. We should have just let him sit there and die. And he said we kind of barked at him and woke him up a little bit. And you said it a minute ago. Those Mississippi State bats are are really good. And it's what well, a pitching staff is really bad good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, was, I was trying to look for a nicer way of saying it other than just bad but bad's accurate um yeah. that mississippi state lineup's really good and with you know just an, an average pitching staff they would win a lot of games in the sec right and you know talking about this andrew Lindsay start highest number of pitches he's thrown this season uh 92 so that's pretty high for him he threw 77 last week 
58 in his first start at Arkansas. And, you know, it just seems like it kind of went wrong there for him in his last inning pitched. I believe it, yeah, it was the sixth inning. Um, gives up the two-run home run early. Gives up a single after that. Then a field, And then uh, Kirby Cannell comes in a couple of batters later. So just your thoughts on this Andrew Lindsay start. I still think it wasn't bad by any stretch. I, he gave up three earned runs, but, you know, it is what it is. And he threw 92 pitches. Maybe this is a little too much for Lindsay is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I... I think that's hard to say whether it is or not. I mean, I think it was just kind of a classic. You get through, go into the lineup for the third time, and you start running into a little bit of trouble, and that's always kind of the balancing point, I think, for a coach or manager in the MLB when your starting pitcher is doing well, uh, but you're reaching that third time. And it's how much flexibility do you give him, how much leeway. And, you know, he had been, in my opinion, not fantastic, but really solid it, mm-hmm. after that first inning when he really kind of got himself in trouble at the start, didn't get any help from his defense, and then boom, he, he found a way to get out of the inning without giving or just giving up the one run. So I was a little surprised the hook wasn't a little bit quicker in that sixth inning, especially after the home run. Um, right. But to me, it wasn't it wasn't crazy or anything like that, and it was just another good Andrew Lindsay start. I don't think he's going to be a guy that has a lot of seven, eight innings one earned run, but it feels like his floor and what he is at his worst is still getting Tennessee into the middle of the game with uh, the game up for grabs, which is Tony, as Tony Vitello tells us frequently is what they're looking for the most. Yeah. And then Aaron Combs and Chase Burns were the next two out of the pen after Kirby gave up a leadoff home run in the seventh inning. Combs comes in, um, gives up a two run double to Luke Hancock, and then Burns comes in in the seventh inning to close it out, getting a strikeout, and then Burns has a pretty good relief outing, retires the side in order in the eighth inning, gives up a leadoff home run in the ninth inning, but all in all, another very, very solid relief outing from Chase Burns, and he's doing what he needs to do out of the bullpen for Tennessee. He is, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that one home run he gives up is the only base runner he allows, and I thought, you know, impressive or just important that, you know, that was – Griffin Merritt's home run was on the second pitch of the bottom of the ninth inning. Uh, Hunter Hines' home run, the tight game, was the second pitch of the top of the ninth inning. So I thought it was, like I said, important the way he was able to snap out of it and not be stuck in that mode and get Tennessee to the bottom of the ninth inning uh, with the game still tied and, and not letting it get any worse. So another good outing for him. Uh, I figure we would have seen him on Saturday in game three if uh, it weren't so lopsided. Uh, so it, it seems like what we talked about last week, they kind of want to use him that Sean Hunley way. And I think that's especially important right now with some of Seth Halverson's struggles, I'm sure we'll talk about. And I did want to note uh, or touch on Combs that, you know, for you're looking at a young pitcher who's trying to break into Tennessee's weekend bullpen. That What he did is not how you do it because it, when you're talking about having playing with a lead is you got to make the other team earn it. And he comes in, he gets the first two guys out. It's looking like it's going to be smooth. He hits a guy, he walks the guy, and then the big bases are two RBI double. It's just you just can't put guys on that way. You can't walk them. You can't hit guys uh, when you're trying to preserve a lead. And I, I know that's the type of stuff that drives Frank Anderson crazy. So I think it'll be interesting to see how much that limits or, or how much confidence they have in Combs uh, that he can respond from that and not do that the next time out there in a big moment. Interesting. Okay, yeah, that's a good point because – yeah, it seems like he's one of those guys beyond the Burns, the Halverson, anybody like that, that could take a bigger role. Absolutely correct. And talking about this game as a whole, we talked a little last week about 
you know, Tennessee found a way to come back and then to dominate offensively, something we hadn't quite seen so far this season. Well, now they get out to a big lead. You think it's going to be a dominant win. And then Mississippi State ties it. But then Tennessee holds off the comeback bid, if you will. So we haven't necessarily seen this either. So Tennessee found a new way to win Thursday night in that they held off a comeback. They didn't falter even as Mississippi State was scoring five runs in the span of two innings and then tying it up there in the ninth. Tennessee didn't falter. They held off a comeback. And frankly, they won in a new way. Yeah, and it's that's always important. And that's what's been bizarre about Tennessee's season for a lot of the season is that they played so many games that were just similar. I mean, I remember texting you about it and when I was in Arkansas, and it's just like this team loses every game the same way. Like it's and from the standpoint of it's hard to write about because you're just writing the same stuff over and over again. And that was kind of the same theme. And they the same thing with the wins. The wins were mostly games that they won handily and they were not a ton of competitive games. I guess you had one comeback against Texas A&M, uh, a back-and-forth high-scoring game against LSU that was probably more competitive than the score made it look in, in Game 3. But this team needs to continue to find more, more and more ways to win, and, and they're starting to do that. And I think that's easy to overlook, but definitely important is Tennessee as a clearer picture than the NCAA tournament, and we'll need to, to find every way to win down the stretch of the season. Saturday, Tennessee won 12-8. They were down 3-0 after the first inning. Chase Dolander, far from his best, but as we learned from Tony Vitello during the in-game broadcast and just later on after the game, Chase Dolander was dealing with a sickness. They didn't even know heading into Friday if he was going to be able to go, but then they made the decision that morning that he was going to indeed pitch, but he was battling sickness still all day Friday, and, you know, he... He was obviously sick this game. This wasn't the Chase Dolander that we're used to seeing. And yes, he's had first inning struggles, definitely, this season. But given what he's done over the last month, this was something that I don't think we're going to see again. And it was just, you know, a sick night for Chase Dolander who was trying to gut it out and respect to him for even th- for even pitching. Definitely. And, it you know, it feels like the first inning home run is coming against Chase Dolander about every start. And it's just like, how many guys are going to be on base when it happens? And it happened to be two yeah. in this one. And, you know, I thought he did a good job of responding. I mean, he did give up a run in third, but uh, it wasn't like after that first inning, after that home run, he was just horrible. He wasn't his best. But I think that was probably when we should have known he was sick because I believe that was before the interview in, in the game is that Tony typically, I think, would give him more leeway and let him try to battle into the fourth or fifth, and then it was a, yeah. a quick hook right when that third inning was over. So uh, definitely not his best outing. Um, some similar issues, not, uh, but not quite the ability uh, to, to fight through him, and, and for good reason with the sickness. Yeah, they were down 4-0. to zero. Um, Tennessee's offense hadn't scored yet when Chase Dolander was taken out. Uh, gave up four earned runs and five hits in three innings. My thing is, he just wasn't throwing a lot of strikes. You know, he only threw 37 strikes on 63 total pitches. So pitch count got a little high for three innings as well. So just and not I believe the night. it was. Yeah, I was gonna say I believe it was 17 strikes and 33 pitches in that first inning that he really yeah. had to labor through. Yeah, that's tough. And this game, when analyzing this game, Tennessee's offense poured it on there in the middle inning, scoring twice in the fourth inning, and then back-to-back four spots in the fifth and sixth, then two again, scoring two runs again in the seventh inning. It was just an onslaught, and they just, you know, dominated Mississippi State's pitching on Friday night. But I think the important thing to talk about in this game is Tennessee's pitching because 
We saw a lot of bullpen guys because Chase Dolan was sick and had the quick hook. Xander Seekers comes in, has a really, really solid fourth inning, um, retiring the side in order with a pair of strikeouts, something that, you know, you don't see Xander Seekers do a lot, but he did. And uh, and then Xander Seekers gets taken out ahead of the fifth inning, even with two lefties up for Mississippi State. And the decision doesn't quite work out for Tennessee as no. Bryce Jenkins comes in, gives up a leadoff single, gives up a two-run home run, gets a strikeout and then allows a double and then his night was over. So just this was a really fascinating turn of events for Tennessee as they allowed three more runs in the fifth when maybe Xander Seekers should have at least stayed in a little longer to get those two lefties. Yeah, Tony Vitello was uh, willing, ready ready to talk about uh, his blunders, as, as he called it, the managing the pitching staff, which I think was probably a lot easier for him to uh, – joke about and openly talk about given the fact that Tennessee's offense was able to pour it on and make up for it. But, you know, I talked about Bryce Jenkins being really good against lefties this season. And uh, Xander certainly hasn't been a guy that stretched out really hardly even an inning at a time in, in SEC play. So uh, even though that he was throwing it really, really well, they had their plan in place. Xander hasn't been a guy that's been overly effective in extended outings. So they went with it and, and obviously it backfired because Xander was throwing the ball really well. Uh, Jenkins ran into some issues, and uh, even later in the game, Seth Halverson gave up a, a run again in, in relief. So it, it wasn't an elite outing from Tennessee's bullpen by any means, no. but yeah. uh, it was you know a lot better than Mississippi State's bullpen's outing essentially. Yeah, I think Xander Seekers had the good inning. You know, Bryce Jenkins wasn't great at all. Um, AJ Russell was he only threw five pitches, uh, gave up a sack fly with a runner on third pass ball allowed that runner to get on third after Jenkins allowed the double. And then Halverson just didn't have his best stuff either. Um, when he came in, in the, was it the sixth inning? Yeah. He came in to begin the sixth inning. Didn't even make it all the way through Seth Halverson, you know, a guy that looked to be maybe Tennessee's top bullpen arm early in the season as we are starting sec play. And now man, it, it just, he hasn't been crisp at all in these past couple of weeks. What do you think's going wrong with Seth Halverson? That's a good question, and I don't really know, to be honest with you. it's It just seems like he's in a lot of hard contact, essentially. He hasn't – the command hasn't been elite, but, it, you know, even when he's been great, like his command's not his strength. So it, it hasn't been just like his issues in Missouri where he can't throw strikes. It just seems like he's oh, – there's been a lot of hard contact off of him, and I don't think it's – overly concerning in the long term uh, but it, it is something to watch and it is something that'll be interesting to see how Tennessee manages the bullpen while he's still kind of in this funk because he's just such a big part uh, of Tennessee's bullpen or has been all season has been a guy that's thrown multiple innings just about every SEC series early in the year but last three outings you get three earned runs uh, against Tennessee Tech three earned runs against mm-hmm. Vanderbilt and then uh, it wasn't an earned run but a run uh, against Mississippi State. So three straight poor outings for him. Uh, I expect we'll probably see him against Wofford uh, on Tuesday in the midweek to see if he can work some of those kinks out. And uh, again, I, I imagine he'll get back to pitching well. Uh, the question is just how fast. Gotcha. Yeah, makes sense. But, you know, on the bright side of Tennessee's bullpen, when you have Chase Burns coming out and figuring that Lindsey can still stay solid and Chase Dolander will be Chase Dolander, presumably, and that if Drew Beam can be what he has been the last two series finales, then you don't have to ask too much out of your bullpen, especially when you have Burns and Camden Sewell, which is my next point, who closed out the game on Friday night, pitching three and a third, 
he was phenomenal in this relief outing. He gave up two walks, but no hits, and just was really, really good. One of the best we've definitely seen Camden to all season. Struck out seven of 12 batters, Ryan. I would say it was definitely his best outing of the year, at least considering the considering the situation and the fact that Tennessee had already taxed their bullpen pretty heavily in the game and uh, the bullpen hadn't been great. And he really shut the door. He was fantastic. You mentioned the seven strikeouts. To me, that felt like uh, strikeouts per batter. You know, he faced that was about as much as, as many as I've ever seen him get in his career. But he was really, really good. You mentioned the two walks, really the only blunders, one of them with two outs in, in the ninth inning um, as Tennessee was closing it out. But he was electric. He was his stuff was fantastic. He kept again the first the whole really first two games uh, of the whatever it would be here first fifteen innings of this gosh that's such terrible math first seventeen innings uh, <laughs> or so of the weekend Mississippi State's lineup was just consistently threatening at least they might not score in every inning but they were putting keeping the pressure on Tennessee and. Uh, Camden Sewell really kind of took it off Tennessee with just how fantastic and dominant he was on the mound. Yeah, and when Camden Sewell came in in the sixth, there were runners on first and third. There were runners on the corners with two outs, and then he strikes out cleanup hitter Dakota Jordan. And Tennessee was down 8-6, to six, by the way, at that point. So that was yeah. a big strikeout to get out of that inning. And then Tennessee's offense exploded in the bottom Um Again, like they did in the fifth. So moving to Tennessee's offense, that's enough about the Vols pitching. Just, you know, it all came together against a poor Mississippi State bullpen. Jared Dickey had three RBIs and, you know, Zane didn't continue to have a solid weekend. But the player I definitely want to talk about more so than anybody and will definitely have to emphasize his game three performance is Christian Moore. He was entering this game two against Mississippi State 0-16 uh, on an 0-16 slump in SEC play at the plate. So, hadn't been going Christian Moore's way at the plate. But he comes into Friday night's game. He goes 2-5 for five with two RBIs, hits a home run, looks like he got back on track. And then in Game 3, he has two more home runs and just continues to succeed at the plate. So, Christian Moore bouncing back in a big way. Game 1 of the Arkansas series was Christian Moore's last hit before uh, game two of uh, this series against Mississippi State. And, and you're right. I mean, it was huge swings when Tennessee were behind. He finally got Tennessee on the board with a two-run homer in the fourth inning and, and immediately kind of got Tennessee back in the game. And uh, in the fifth inning, he provided the the big double with, I believe, yeah, with two outs that uh, mm-hmm. Mississippi State outfielder booted it a little bit, which allowed Blake Burke to score, so he didn't get the RBI on it. But uh, was a huge swing in the game. So uh, he was really good. And I think I, you could almost say the same thing for Blake Burke too, where Burke's struggles weren't as bad as Moore's the last few weeks, but he hasn't been overly effective in these tight SEC games. He hasn't had a bunch of clutch hits, and he had the clutch hit in, in this one, his three-run homer uh, there in the sixth inning that finally gave Tennessee the lead. And he had uh, really, I thought, effective hitting in, in some big spots all weekend. So those are the two guys that, we've been saying from the start of the season that those two and Jared Dickey are the guys that are Tennessee's best hitters and Tennessee, if they want to reach their potential, they need those guys to be hitting at a high level. And that hasn't been the case for a lot of SEC play this year. Um, Even last week against Vanderbilt, obviously with Christian Moore, he didn't have a single hit all weekend was suspended for the final game. Uh, had a couple walks. So it wasn't like he was terrible, but uh, with those guys performing well, Tennessee's offense, I think can just, has a, another gear that it can reach without it. 
Yeah, you know, Christian Moore is definitely one of the best Tennessee players at getting on base, but if he can also be a power hitter like this, can be a really, really good bat, then that just takes it to a whole new level. And you talked about Blake Burke. I'm curious, I need to do this research, but I'm curious the stat of, you know, he had 14 home runs entering Friday night's game. I wonder how many of those, I wonder how many RBIs he had on those 14 home runs because it didn't feel like, you're right, it didn't feel like his home runs came in big moments. But they certainly did in the bottom of the sixth there against Mississippi State. Yeah, I didn't necessarily feel like big moments, a ton of them in SEC games, and it felt like, to your point about the RBIs, I think that's what you're getting at, just it didn't feel like he had a ton of home runs that weren't solo home runs in SEC exactly. play. Right. And before the Vanderbilt series, Tennessee had been so bad hitting with runners on base that it was like he need these top hitters to step up in those moments, and he hadn't done it. And I think the response that he had with the big go-ahead home run in the sixth inning was impressive too because – he made a big defensive miscue in the top half of the inning that cost Tennessee a run. So to be able to put that behind him and have a, the biggest swing in the weekend, I think you could argue, or at least one of Griffin Merritt probably takes the cake being a walk-off. Um, but it was huge, and you can say the same thing for Christian Moore, too, who had an error in the first inning of game one that cost Tennessee and then was uh, really, really effective um, at the plate there in the series finale. Right. Do you remember the numbers on that, Burke Homer? Because I know it was... Mashed. It was four thirty something and about a one ten exit below. I mean, it was a line drive home run at yeah. the batter's eye uh, there in center. Yeah, just he crushed it, man. When he yeah. gets a hold he of got one, all it's, of it, it's insane to watch. But yeah, yeah. so Tennessee, Murray. yeah, Tennessee wins twelve to eight, wrapping up or clinching the series win as they headed into Saturday, and then moving on to Saturday. Uh, Tennessee's bats stayed hot. They scored six in the first inning. It was pretty much over before it started. The Gerangelo, which I thought was interesting. PA announcer at Lindsey Nelson Stadium pronounced Mississippi State's ambidextrous pitcher's first name, Gerangelo, even though I did not think it would have been pronounced that way. But he had a very, very poor outing, um, got teed off on in the first inning, was quickly, quickly exited in the second inning, and Tennessee just kept their foot on the gas as they swept the Bulldogs on Saturday. I think the best thing you can say for Gerangelo's performance is that he had two less walks than Jack Caglione did in the first inning at Lindsey Nelson Stadium a few weeks ago. So just four, uh, but yeah, he couldn't find the strike zone. And Tennessee really did it. They capitalized on it. It's like in slow, slow pitch softball. I don't know a ton about slow pitch softball, but I've been led to believe that you only get a certain number of home runs in these games. So you got to use your home runs at, crucial moments you got to try to hit singles and then get everybody on base and hit a home run that's what it felt like Tennessee was doing early in this game because in uh, the first inning they get two guys on via walk they hit a home run they get two more guys on via walk and they hit a home run so uh, Tennessee scored six <laughs> runs to immediately take control of this game on just two hits in that first inning and Jared Dickey uh, another guy you know just about every Tennessee bat had a huge weekend when you look at the fact that they scored 33 runs uh, in over three games so there's a lot of good guy, good good things you can say about Tennessee's uh, lineup, but Jared Dickey hit the huge home run to get him started. And, and he continued to be red hot and finally got some long balls out. It feels like he's had like yep. six real close calls this season. And uh, not to say he hadn't, hadn't hit homers, but it felt like he should have a lot more than he does. And he gets two more out this weekend, including the one that got Tennessee going uh, on Saturday afternoon. Yeah. Now the, now at 10 home runs for Jared Dickey, now four balls in double digit count. And Christian Moore is at nine now too. So he'll soon join them, but Zane Denton, Jared Dickey, Blake Burke and Griffin Mayer, all with double-digit homers. 
And you mentioned the second three-run home run in the bottom of the first. That came with two outs, too. Two two-out walks, and then Christian yeah. Scott brings them all home with the three-run homer. Christian Scott, man, like I mentioned it last week about how his bat isn't a liability, and he's continuing to prove me right. He is continuing to get better at the plate, and he's just becoming an all-around really good player for Tennessee as SEC play continues. Yeah, just I mean, obviously we're, we brought him up here because he hit a home run, but he's just been such a good pitch or just such a good contact guy. He just works mm-hmm. competitive at bats and uh, seems to put the ball in play and hopefully good things happen. And a lot of times good things have happened for him. And uh, I, you've got to have a ton of respect for that and a ton of give a ton of credit uh, to Christian Scott. And I think, you know, when you're not the best hitter on a team and you're not a guy that's going to hit 12 home runs or uh, like a Liam Spence who could get on base, you know, at 470 rate just about, it's about making the other team's pitcher work and just not being an easy out. And that's what Christian Scott has turned into doing. And he's just, he's pesky up there. He's consistently competitive. Um, he's not striking out a ton. If he is, it's typically competitive at bats. It's not three, four pitch strikeouts. He's fouling off two strike pitches. So he's been really impressive. And obviously that glove in right field has been really good. He made a couple of nice diving catches. One that saved the run, uh, I believe was in Saturday's game, maybe on Fridays uh, to end an inning too. So He's been great. He's got that right field job kind of on lockdown. And for a guy that Tony Vitello and Tennessee's coaching staff have had a lot of belief in for a long time and hasn't, you know, he's got some starts. He's, I think he started on opening day at least two of the last three years, if not all three of the, uh, or all of the last three years, but has never been able to gain a starting job and win a starting job. I think it's, it's got to be rewarding, I guess is what I'm trying to say, for his coaches to see him finally kind of get in the game, get his feet under him, get comfortable, and perform at the level that, that they knew he, or at least thought he was capable of. Yeah, and I don't know what the decision process was like for C. Scott when, you know, obviously this is his last year of eligibility, if I'm not mistaken. He's a fifth-year yeah. senior. And, you know, I don't know if he was even, I, you know, I, I don't know if he was thinking of maybe entering the portal. It just, you know, everything just seemed like, maybe Christian Scott was never going to reach that considering how last year went for him. And, but now it has, and it's all coming together in his last year. So it is cool to see that he's batting 295. And, you know, if you're Tennessee's best defensive player, which to me, especially now field, which is what Christian Scott is. If you're arguably Tennessee's best base runner, which is what Christian Scott is. If you're batting 300, you're extremely valuable to the team, in my opinion. Definitely. And I'll raise you one better. And, I'll shout out my dad if he's listening. He he never wants to know the stats. He always wants to know the SEC stats. And I will give him credit. That is what matters, is how you're doing an yeah. SEC play. And Christian Scott has Tennessee's third highest average in SEC play. There you go. So, uh, he, and close to that in on-base percentage, yeah, he's third in on-base percentage, and he's point zero three away from leading the team in on-base percentage in SEC play. So he's become a really valuable bat and a guy that – as we talk about Dylan Dryling and Kavar's tears and tears is injured now, so it's not as big as a conversation, but we talk about how do you get those guys in the lineup more. Christian Scott's made it hard because he's locked down that job in right field and he's not giving giving up any room to those guys. Absolutely. Well, if you thought two three-run homers was going to be it for Tennessee as far as three-run homers go on Saturday, you are sorely mistaken as Christian Moore hit another three-run home run for Tennessee in the bottom of the second. Tennessee led 9-1 to one after two innings with only five hits. And I, 
I remember sitting down in the media tent after the second inning was over, and I'm like, you know what? Tennessee's done better than Mississippi State, but this game is not out of hand. It, it, in my mind, that's what I'm thinking. I'm like, this game doesn't feel like it should be an eight-run lead, but that's what happens when you hit three three-run homers, and Christian Moore pretty much just put the icing on the cake already in the second inning, extending Tennessee's lead to 9-1, to one, and you just knew with Mississippi State's bullpen, our, the starter already gone, it was just going to get uglier from there. Definitely, and I think that's one thing that I didn't we didn't mention on Thursday mention on Thursday's game. But you know, Tennessee had a big lead and they blew it. And typically, when that happens, you point the finger at the pitching staff. And I think there was probably some blame to go around. To me, it was just because just as big as an issue for the bats because the lineup couldn't get anything going against a bad Mississippi State bullpen in the first game. And they Mississippi State throwing a guy with a six plus ERA and he kind of shut him down for multiple innings. And you know that can happen, but I think it made it more, I don't know, impressive, but just a good response to the way Tennessee just hammered uh, Mississippi State's bullpen the next two days and really never let them get comfortable. And you're right, at that point when Christian Moore hit that home run, it, it felt like the game was over, especially because the one run Tennessee had given up was an unearned run, and Tennessee should have already been out of the inning. And Hunter Hines, who was fantastic this weekend, had another extra yeah. base hit. And it, it just felt like by that point in the game, having watched him, Phase two innings, it felt like Drew Beam was in control. That would prove to be true. And with an eight-run lead and Drew Beam in control, that was uh, plenty for Tennessee to, to feel comfortable and really coast uh, to the series sweep. Drew Beam was nearly flawless. I mean, what should have been a routine one, two, three first inning, if Christian Moore doesn't bobble a ground ball like four different times and someone <laughs> reaches on an error and then a RBI triple from cleanup hitter to coach Jordan brings Hunter Hines home. So that hit could have been avoided for um drew beam and then you move forward he dominates the next stretch you know one two three inning in the second um one two three inning in the third and then he gets a double play to face the minimum in the fourth uh dakota jordan had worked a one-out walk and then the homer in the sixth inning which was only a solo homer so drew beam nearly a flawless outing right it was he and complete game at the at the you know to boot yeah so he get he four Five base runners in total, he gives up. And obviously one score is there in the first inning, and they get out of the inning. There's a solo homer, so it's not even really a base runner. It's just a hit. The other two times people got on base, he immediately, next to the batter, got double plays. So it, it just – and Mississippi State never threatened against him. I mean, that's, I guess, the point I was bringing up against Camden Sewell. Mississippi State was constantly threatening for most of the first two games. Once Camden Sewell got in and then handed the ball to – I guess didn't actually hand the ball, but Drew Beam gets the ball to start – Saturday's game, they just completely locked down Mississippi State's lineup. So uh, he was really impressive. That was basically Drew Beam at his best. He had seven strikeouts, but it felt a lot like last week, too, where he didn't have a ton of strikeouts, but he was just constantly in the zone and getting a lot of weak contact, a lot of ground balls, a lot of pop, a lot of fly balls that didn't threaten to get out of the ballpark. Uh, so he was really, really good. And I think one, you got to give him a lot of credit for the way he's responded at Arkansas start with. To me, his two best starts of the season. And two, I think you have to be really encouraged, and this is something he talked about after the game. We're starting to get late in the year. This is around the time last year that his body and his arm kind of started breaking down on him and he started struggling. At this point this year, he's getting better, and he is finding another gear, which I think is huge for Tennessee. It's really impressive, and for a guy that, you know, you could not to presume to be Drew Beam's great friend or anything. You could tell how much it bothered him last year when he was not 
not a weapon for Tennessee, uh, uh, Tennessee's pitching staff, uh, the back half of the season. You could tell that ate at him. And he talked about everything he's done to keep his body in a lot better care, physically, diet stuff. So you can tell he it means a lot to him to be pitching well at this time of year. And I think it's exciting to see what he can do as he kind of continues to get in his groove and push towards the end of the regular season. Yeah, it really gives Tennessee no fear of change, right? Drew Beams, just Mr. You know, they love to call him QB1 if he's Mr. Consistent yeah. on that game three. It's so easy to just set it and forget it. It's like having a a great fantasy football team. You know, set it and forget it. Don't have to play the waiver wire to see who my wide receiver three is going to be this weekend. Just set it and forget it. It's such a luxury to have a game three pitcher like Drew Beam when he's pitching like this as well. And yeah, I guess I didn't mention the uh, seventh inning single to lead off there as I was pretty much already checked out, packing up in the tent, ready for post-game media. Yeah. But yeah, um, Pinchetter got on with the leadoff single and then double play quickly, you know, prevented any delay there as Tennessee went on to run rule in seven innings. All right, well, you said last week that if you were going to say Tennessee baseball was back, you needed to see it again. Now that they've swept Mississippi State, it's safe to say Tennessee baseball is back, and then back, I still mean, an Omaha contender. Yeah, no, they are because in large part because they're going to make the NCAA tournament at this point, which is such a far cry from two weeks ago when I said I it felt more likely that they would miss Hoover didn't even make the NCAA tournament. Yeah, but, yeah. And they, it's just a crazy turnaround and uh, really, really impressive. And they're playing at a level that I don't think is necessarily their ceiling, but they're playing close to up to the talent they have. And we've seen how good this team can be. Uh, with the talent need to go do it on the road. I think that's really, really important with how bad they've been on the road this season. Uh, they need to go show that they can do it. And what's not going to be a super hostile environment, especially compared to their last two road series against Arkansas and LSU, but uh, will still be a challenging place to play at Georgia next weekend. They need to keep it going and they need to prove they can do it on the road. It's, it's just like we talked about uh, with the c- series opener of finding different ways to win. This team's just got to keep proving they can do different things and, They'll have an opportunity next week on the road in Athens. Absolutely. And this is a Georgia team that, as I kind of mentioned last week, continuing to play well. So it's not going to be an easy series in Athens whatsoever. Let's see how Georgia did this past week. Um, who they play? They played Ole Miss. Go. I know they Ole lost Miss. the first game. I don't know how it went yesterday. I'm, I'm sure they they're playing. To, yeah, they won game two. They're playing today. So rubber match between Georgia and Ole Miss. Getting underway here in a couple hours, actually. So we'll see what happens there. But still going to be a tough series down there in Athens for Tennessee. Not going to get too much into depth on a Georgia preview today. Ryan will have your preview for you guys, whether it be Wednesday or Thursday coming up this week. We have five minutes left in this podcast, Ryan. So take as much time as you need, I guess, as long as it's under five minutes. There was a Pop-Tart tasting contest in Lindsey Nelson (laughs) Stadium during the Tuesday midweek game or uh, during the series opener against Mississippi State that was caused by a discussion y'all had in the press box on Tuesday. So Mike Wilson, writer at the Knoxville News Sentinel, friend of the show, brought six different boxes of Pop-Tarts. I can't remember all the flavors, but strawberry, brown sugar, cinnamon, blueberry, you know, all your goods in there. A couple oddballs like s'mores and cookies and cream, but there are six different boxes of Pop-Tarts. All you guys tasted the Pop-Tarts. Tell me what was your favorite and what won, how that all went down. Yeah, so my favorite was what ended up winning, which was cinnamon brown sugar. And I'm not, I don't presume to be a Pop Tart expert. Um, I can't say I've eaten a lot of Pop Tarts in the last five years. Um, but cinnamon brown sugar is always my favorite. And I threw that out on 
Tuesday, and it was a little dismissive, I would say. Not people mm. where people were hating on it, but to mention it as the best, it, it wasn't uh, a popular theme or popular uh, call by me. But it ends up winning. I don't think anyone had it ranked like lower than like three, which it's just such a solid pop tart. It's the only pop tart I eat the full thing of. Uh, the not just destroy my stomach with six pop tarts, but it was really good. I had strawberry two, blueberry three, uh, then cookies and cream or s'mores, cookies and cream, some order and cherry uh, last. I, I will say what? the lack of to- the lack of toaster. I think negatively affected the chocolate based pop tarts, especially the s'mores. I think could have been a lot better with toaster that's absolutely correct yeah the the dessert pop tarts if you will those those like super sweet ones definitely always better with a toaster but i gotta say brown sugar cinnamon always been an elite pop tart in my opinion but it's the one b to cherry i just love cherry pop tarts. you love I will cherry? always wow, go to cherry that? that is my number one so the fact that it finished sixth for you is definitely surprising that's yeah, funny yeah no it's it was not a huge i mean it wasn't bad but not a, not a huge fan of it Oh, that's fun. Fun times in the Lindsey Nelson Stadium press box, to say the least. I figured we'd just talk about that. We had someone reach out to Ryan on Twitter asking to discuss the results. So, you know, always a fun time when there's a Pop-Tart tasting competition going on in the press box. But anyway, Ryan, that's going to wrap up this episode of Talking Tennessee Baseball's week. Anything else you want to add? No, I don't think so. Three weeks left in the regular season. Tennessee now above, uh, I guess that would be the one anecdote we didn't note, above 500 for the first time in SEC play this season. Two road series, uh, a really challenging one at South Carolina, Kentucky at home, a chance to really put their foot on the gas and give themselves a comfortable NCAA tournament uh, bid, uh, I guess you could say, and then it's uh, off the postseason play when it really gets fun. So we'll see if this team can keep it up. Uh, I guess the thing that I would say I'm looking forward to most this week, other than just seeing if they can play well on the road, what does Seth Halverson look like bouncing back and uh, can Christian Moore stay hot? Those are kind of the two things that I'm going to have my eye on particularly. Yeah, good points there, Ryan. Again, that'll wrap up this episode of the Rocket Top Insider Press Pass Special Edition Podcast. Ryan Shepard is on Zoom today with us. He is at rshump00. If you guys want to follow him on all your socials, be sure and follow Rocket Top Insider at Rocket Top Insider everywhere. You can also follow me at Jack Foster Media. For Ryan, again, I'm Jack, and we'll see you next time on the Tennessee Baseball Rocket Top Insider Press Pass Special Edition Podcast.